How you guys doing tonight? All right. Couldn't, uh, I, I can't get away from the video that was shown at the beginning, so it, we're going to pray. But if you could just, uh, before we pray, close your eyes and kind of picture that last, um, that last video clip that Francis Chan was talking about when, when we've zoomed back and we can see pretty much everything we know about the universe. Um, and just read this one verse in Isaiah chapter 40. This is our God, who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, and He marked off the heavens by a span. I don't know if you know, but in Hebrew, they try to describe the universe with the word heavens, and the measure of a span is the width of your hand. Beloved, this is our God. Absolutely incredible thing. Let's pray. Um, Father, even though that that... That verse and that video just show you in an incredible light. I think it's even more incredible that um, you want to know us and that you've given us the mystery uh, of salvation. And God, I just pray that for everyone here tonight, um, those that know you, that you just make us more like Jesus and those who don't, that um, this would be the first night of a new incredible relationship with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Romans chapter 2. <laughs> the impartiality of God is the title that I was emailed. Um, you know, when you, when you talk about tough passages, the really easy thing to do is just kind of skip over some things. And I think even a worse thing to do would be to change it where it means something else. So I think what we're just going to do is go through this passage and, and, and kind of behold that, that this is our God. Um, but I do want to start off with salvation because I think that as we kind of go down the steps and it may seem like the passage is getting kind of darker and darker, um, I want the idea of simply salvation to kind of illumine the way. Uh, that before Paul is going to talk about all of the wrath and the judgment, the things we don't like to hear... He's going to initiate this book of Romans uh, with something about salvation. So let that be kind of a light that uh, kind of guides us. So I'll I'll start with a question. And and, um, I I should have listened to the last two talks and I didn't. So if I repeat some things, sorry about that. Um, Anyway, have you ever thought of the question, how was anyone saved? How was anyone saved? There's so many different people in the world that are religious and non-religious and care about God and don't care about God and care about people and don't care about people. How are they saved? Have you ever thought, are these two general types of people, are they saved in the same way? Can God use different things to save people in different ways and different cultures and different times? Um, I think Paul uh, starts out his letter uh, to the Romans with an astounding statement. And this is chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, maybe the two most important verses uh, in the entire book. Uh, And he says, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness from God is revealed by faith. I apologize, I'm going to make you think tonight here in the beginning of the intro. Uh, What does Paul mean by this statement? We're talking about salvation. In other words, God declares someone acceptable to Him, pleasing to Him, when that person puts their trust 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does the gospel mean? It, it just means good news. You say, well, what, what exactly do you mean by good news? Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that Jesus came and died on a cross in our place to intercept, here's our first fun word, the wrath of God as judgment upon our sin. Let's say that again. Salvation is God declaring a person to have a right standing with Him through their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And He doesn't apply that to a culture. He doesn't apply that to different groups of people. He just simply sets it out there and said that that is for Jews and Gentiles alike. For everyone. Okay? That message, our faith in that message, is salvation. Now, he uses the term Jew and Gentile, so let's make that, I think, a bit more contemporary without changing its meaning, okay? If we look at the word Jew, um, I would think you would all agree that in that time, Jews are very moral people, and they were also very religious people. And I don't know if you know, but today, there are a lot of moral people, there's a lot of moral people that are better than I am, and there are a lot of religious people. Okay, well, Paul says the word Gentile, okay? There's a lot of people out there who could care less about God. They could care less about people. They know He doesn't exist. And they hate Him. And so if we, if we think of those two categories, the, the religious, moral person, and the immoral pagan, we get a good understanding of where Paul is going to begin. And Paul is going to use these two categories to describe all of humanity. Okay? Now, after making a statement like, Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power to salvation. I mean, that is it. That is the way. You would think that Paul would stop at that point and explain it a little more, right? You think he would talk more about the righteousness of God. You think he would talk more about salvation. You think he would talk more about faith. But instead, the next verse, verse 18, <laughs> he starts talking about the wrath of God. Okay? So instead, he begins with God's wrath and sinfulness of humanity. Uh, understanding that man is sinful by nature is foundational to the gospel message. Why? If man is not sinful by nature, why does he need a Savior? So I think this is Paul's thought, thinking, and why he is talking about judgment in the first two chapters, right after beginning with a beautiful statement about salvation. Last week, Mark talked about uh, verses 18 through 32. This is basically Paul turning his attention to the immoral pagan, or what he calls the Gentile. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed against men who suppress the truth. In other words, the truth that God exists because it's plain in creation. Now, we hear this first phrase, wrath of God, and we immediately start to switch off, okay? And I just want to say that when we hear things like that that, that don't sit well with us, we, we don't need to sweep them under the rug, okay? Because this is part of the God who we worship. It's not His total being, but it is part of it, okay? Sometimes it's difficult to hear about it. Um, however, with that being said, we need to also understand what Paul is meaning by the wrath of God, okay? Uh, in this passage, Paul's not talking about like there's a big wrath button in heaven that's red and, you know, God's up there and he sees something happen and he hits the wrath button and zaps them. Right? I mean, that's kind of what I think about. I think about Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a wicked and evil people and, you know, God hit the wrath button and down comes the fire and the brimstone and just destroys everything. That's not exactly what Paul was talking about. All right? What Paul is meaning when he is talking about the wrath of God revealed is basically his decision to allow men to continue in their sin 
and suffer its natural consequences. So it's not like an active thing. It's almost like a passive thing. This is going to be really, really important when we go to chapter 2 and talk about those verses. And James, he kind of speaks of this progression, this natural progression of the consequences of sin uh, in chapter 1 of his letter when he says, When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. In other words, there's a result of sin and it's not good. So once again, this idea is key to understanding what Paul is saying in chapter 2. In chapter 2, Paul leaves the immoral pagan. And he begins to talk about the sinfulness of the religious moralist. The the title, Impartiality of God, I think we can stop here and just say, this is the impartiality of God, is that if you're talking about an immoral pagan, someone who absolutely hates the idea of God, does not believe in God, does not care about people, they're in the same place as the religious moralist. Paul doesn't really make that much of the division. Okay? Why are they the same? Because they both have a sin nature. Now, at the end of chapter 1, Paul gives us a list of the evil things that pagans do. And I can imagine that a lot of the religious people, and I might just put my hand up and say that I'll probably fall into that camp. Um, I can imagine a group of them you know, sitting around, maybe reading Paul's letter, or even sometimes when I, when I was reading this to, to prepare for it, and I, and I read a list of the horrible things that they do, they're immoral, they disobey their parents, all these things that are said, it's almost like this self-righteousness feeling just kind of, kind of churns up in me when I hear these things. Then chapter 2, he turns his attention to the, to the religious people. And in verse 1, um, he says, Therefore... You have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. And here's the key part. For you who judge, practice the same things. Paul says, religious people, look, you're going around judging people for doing things which, by the way, are wrong. Then you turn right around and you do those same things. And I must tell you, this... That verse was extremely convicting uh, for me personally. I, I don't, maybe, I'm sure you guys don't do this, but um, sometimes I, I run into conflicts at colleagues at my work. Um, there's this, this one incident that I had a, a couple weeks ago as I'm preparing this where there was a situation that was handled in a certain, certain way by one of my colleagues. And I just thought to myself, you know, that was really an arrogant way to handle that situation. I don't know if I would have handled it like that. And almost immediately the Holy Spirit was like... Uh, Josh, before you just go jump off the edge and just judge and condemn that person who may have done something wrong, it might possibly be that you don't like what you see in the other person because that's what I'm kind of showing you that you need to change about your heart. Jesus says uh, in this way in Matthew chapter 7, uh, which is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, the, the Beatitudes are fantastic in the Sermon on the Mount, but if you don't finish chapter 6 and 7, it, it doesn't give it a context. Fantastic. Read the whole thing at once. Uh, Jesus used some, it's almost like carpenter language, right? And I, I, I really pick on people who, I think some people, we get this idea that Jesus is like this guy who kind of floats around and he's got like this, you know, bouquet of flowers and little kittens are following him around and he just sprinkles blessings on people. I love, I love Jesus' passion. Um, in chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, he says, Why do you see the speck or the sawdust that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there's a log in yours? I mean, can you imagine him saying that? There's a log. It's like a tree log. And then he says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
And I think Jesus' words are so wise because He's not saying ignore the speck or the sawdust in your brother's eye. He's just saying take a look at yourself first. Get, get your mind and heart right first before you go to your brother. Because, <laughs> um, And I just kind of feel I need to say this from my heart. Is that When you speak the truth in love to someone, it's not judging them. In fact, in many, many cases, the most loving thing that you can do to someone is tell them the truth. And I, I, I can look back at my life. It just turned 30, and I have several friends that um, have gotten married and already divorced in their 20s, and I knew them. It wasn't like I just kind of casually knew them. I, I mean, I, I knew these people, and I kept my mouth shut when things were going on in their lives that, that shouldn't have been. And I look back and I think, I mean, this is very convicting me. I just think, what if I would have just loved them enough to kind of open my mouth and said, hey, I, I've noticed this in your life. I love you. Can I pray for you? And after Paul kind of sets this, this first kind of argument up against his readers of this letter, he poses them two questions to them. And if, when you read through Paul's letters, they're, they're really great because Paul, honestly, is, he's very arrogant and he's sarcastic and he's very sly. And so he asks two rhetorical questions of these kind of religious, moralist people. And he says, uh, in verse 3 and 4 of Romans chapter 2, he says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume, or do you take lightly, do you take for granted the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that it is God's kindness that leads you to repentance. Well, what do you mean? In other words, religious people he's talking to, do you think that you can judge others and do the same thing and then think you're getting away with it because there's no immediate consequence? Because remember, the wrath of God we're talking about is not the instant kind of thing. See, Paul says you don't understand really what you're doing. You haven't actually escaped any kind of judgment. God is simply withholding it so that you may repent. Okay? So this delayed action on God to judge this sin is purposeful on God's part so that the people involved will repent. Now, this is really important. Okay? And this is kind of the heart of this first part of the passage. If you don't take anything else away, take this away. This is an extremely important principle found throughout Scripture. And we can apply this to the people that Paul is writing to. You can apply it to your own life and my own life. And you can apply this to all of the nations, the macrocosm of the entire world. Okay? God withholds His righteous judgment on sin so that men and women everywhere might repent and turn to Christ. Because you see, what Paul says, that what you are doing... Religious people, when you take God's kindness for granted, okay, when you take for granted the fact that He withholds His judgment so that you may repent, what you are actually doing is storing up wrath for yourself. This is really a warm and fuzzy sermon. I'm sure you guys can feel this. Let's look at verse 5, okay? Paul says, Religious people, and I'm, I'm not saying that to you, by the way. I hope you don't think that I am. Uh, Verse 5, because of your hard and unrepentant hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That's a great thing about our God that He's patient. But you know, He is only going to be patient to a certain point. So let's recap this. Uh, Paul's saying that when religious people judge others, 
and then practice the same things, and then think they escape the judgment, they are taking for granted the kindness of God that is meant to lead them to repentance. And in actuality, they're storing up the wrath of God. So what's his natural call? He says to them, repent. And I just might submit to you that, that at the beginning we talked about salvation. Salvation begins with God's kindness. He initiates it through Christ. But I also might submit to you that from our point of view, salvation begins with repentance. What in the world does that mean? Well, the idea of repentance, it literally means a change of mind. You, you can kind of think of it like a change of life, a change of direction. If you're walking this way and you're believing certain things, you're living in an evil way, you stop and you change your mind, you change directions, and you walk towards Christ. And after verse 5, uh, Paul kind of goes and explains more into the idea of the judgment. Uh, and he talks a lot about the way that you live your life is the way that you will be rewarded. And the only thing that I want to say for, for this passage from about chapters, or verses 6 through about 11, um, is I want us to keep in mind that when we read about works in the Scriptures, um, we don't need to mix up the idea that People are not saved or we are not Christians because we do certain things. It's that when you are saved, works naturally come as an outflowing of your heart. A lot of people criticize Paul for being unclear on that. In the last section of it, um, we're going to kind of summarize it because there's a lot there. It's been 20 minutes talking and 16 verses of Romans is like eating steak and chips through a straw. So we've got to condense a little bit of it. Um, verses 12 through the end of the section 16 uh, Paul is going to talk about the law, which for a Jewish person was absolutely everything. It was absolutely everything. Uh, and he just simply is going to make the distinction once again between Jews and Gentiles or really religious people and people who are completely pagan and immoral. And he says, you know, you Jews, you think that by obeying the law, you're going to be righteous. And he says, actually, no. You're not going to, you're not going to be righteous because of the law. You're going to be judged by the law. Because the interesting thing is, is whatever law that you have, a Jewish law, a Muslim law, a Christian law, you're not going to be able to fulfill it. Because we have a sinful nature, we're not perfect. In fact, Paul goes on to say in another letter that if you break one part of the law or one commandment, you're guilty of breaking it all. It's like a window. If you crack it in one spot, it's all completely gone. It's like that road is a dead end. You can't go down that way. And then just to even the playing field, he turns back again to the immoral pagan. He says, well, wait a minute. A lot of you seem to think that you can look at me and say, oh, well, your religious law doesn't apply to me. I can live however I want to live. There's not a God. It doesn't apply. And then he says this really interesting thing in verse 14. It says, for when Gentiles, the immoral pagans, who do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are law to themselves, and that they show the work of the law written on their hearts. Their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them. What in the world is that meaning? He says, first of all, look, it doesn't matter if, if you believe in a law or a God or not. There's proof of it written on your hearts because you have a conscience. And he says, secondly, when you live immoral and do wicked and evil things, your thoughts accuse you and then they defend you. So what in the world do you mean, Paul? I, this happened to me, I remember one time, the first job I had after university. Once again, I know you guys would never do this. Uh, um, I worked at this place, it was, a, it was a business kind of job, and we sent out a lot of mailings. 
And, well, one day I thought, well, you know what? I've got a lot of mail that I need to send out. I'll just go to the post part of it, run it through the little postal machine, and then that'll get my postage paid for. And, 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 you know, my thoughts were saying, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. They were condemning me. But then they defended me. You know what I said? I justified it. I said, oh, they're not going to miss it. It's just a few cents on every stamp. I'll send them through anyway. And, and people that are religious, they go through this debate all the time which is proof that the law of God is written on their hearts. So just to recap the things that we've talked about, uh, in the first two chapters, Paul is really going after the moral pagans and the religious moral people, and he's leveling the playing field. They all have a sinful nature. They all need the gospel. They all need salvation. And that salvation is only going to come through putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, in closing, I want us to kind of think about three things. Um, then we're going to pray, and if I start praying, I guess the band can go ahead and come up. But the three things I want you guys to kind of think about, number one, is the idea of, of repentance. If, if there's anyone here who just thinks, you know what, I don't want to take God's kindness uh, for granted. I don't know Him. Um, I want to turn away from the direction that I'm going. I want to turn towards Christ. Um, Now's the time. There's not a better night. So I want you to be thinking about that. And those of you in here who know Christ, be praying for that. Um, secondly, maybe you're a person in here who, you know, like I experienced a couple weeks ago, realized that uh, you've got a log sticking out of your eye. <laughs> Such a funny picture. Um, just pray that God reveals to you if there's any logs in your eyes. Uh, and lastly, maybe you're a person who's walking with the Lord uh, you feel intimate with Him. You feel like that you're, you're living the way you need to be living. Uh, pray that God gives you the courage that if you see a speck of sawdust in your brother or sister's eye, pray that you have the courage and love to maybe just, hey, can we talk about that? Can, we, can I pray for you about something? Can I help you do something? Um, okay, let's just go ahead and, and uh, think about those three things. Close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you for the, the parts of your word that we love to read about, and we thank you for the more difficult passages of the word, um, and we would just ask that you would just help us just to come before you uh, and not try to make you into the God that we want you to be, but we would just submit ourselves to who you are, and I just pray, uh, I pray for people to, to turn from their sin and to follow you. God, I pray for just Christians in here um, that maybe have some logs in their eyes, myself included, that you would just please open up our minds and open up our hearts so we could see them, that you would take them away. And Father, finally, I just pray for people in here to have courage, God, to go out into their families and into the world, into the workplace, and lovingly uh, point out the specks of, of sawdust in their brother's and sister's eyes. Now, Father, we love you. And once again, we thank you for your kindness and your patience with us that is meant to lead us to repentance. It's not meant uh, to destroy us. So we thank you for that, Father. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.